You're listening to the Cornerstone Family Worship Center podcast. Making disciples, building community, and growing together in faith and love. spend at least five or ten minutes in prayer unto God for our nation. Now this has uh, been something that's been going on for quite some years now through uh, Family Research Council. That's Tony Perkins. I don't know if you know who that is. As a matter of fact, uh, if you do not get this subscription in your emails, you should sign up for it. Family Research Council, FRC. That's one website that you ought to have because it will keep you updated on the latest things that are going on uh, concerning faith and freedom in our country and the church and things like that. So uh, I would highly suggest that you become a part of their mailing list and get their emails. Uh, Some of the things will just blow blow your mind that uh, some of the things that are going on in our country right now, you'll never ever hear about it from the media. From the, from the general media, but it's going on today. As a matter of fact, uh, the social media, all this social media stuff that's going on. Uh, oh, the kids can be dismissed. I'm sorry, did I not? I didn't do that. Go ahead, sorry. Uh, but all this social media stuff that's going on, there's a, there was a brother who, uh, who has some kind of a video type of a blog, I guess, and he co- makes comments on there, and... Uh, he, I, I don't know if he was at a church or if he knew of a church where the pastor spoke out on some issues that the Bible simply addresses as sin, and he got a lot of flack, not only from the outside, but from his own church. And uh, this guy made a comment on how, how far have we moved away from the Lord that even the Christians give their pastors and their leaders a hard time about speaking out against sin. And so he just made some comments like that. He wasn't hateful. He wasn't a hater, as some people like to uh, tag you if you speak out the truth of God's word. But uh, he said, I think that we need to pray for our president. And he said, and I believe that that is the Christian's duty no matter who that president is, no matter whether we like him or not, whether we like what he does or not. He said, it's our obligation as Christians to lift him up in prayer. That's all he said on his blog. And Google or I think it was Facebook shut him down. Took his blog right off the thing for hate speech. And this stuff is going on all the time, church, because people are wanting to silence your voice and my voice when we speak for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
there's no way that that can happen. We cannot let those kind of things happen. But uh, FRC will keep you updated on things just like that. You need to know what they are. Amen. But anyway, they have uh, established this thing called uh, Call to Fall, and they ask all the evangelical churches if they would spend at least five minutes during their uh, worship service on this particular Sunday uh, in prayer and repentance for our nation. So we're going to do that at the close of uh, the service today, okay? But I just decided to title this message a call to fall message. <laughs> a call to fall message. So I don't want to just give it five minutes. We're going to give the entire service to it, okay? But we will end in some prayer. But I just want to ask a couple of questions and throw some real quick answers out to them. When will God, let's, let's first pray, okay? Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you and we love worshiping you. We love already being in your presence this morning. We thank you for your word. It gives us uh, light and understanding. It, uh, it shows the pathway in which we should walk as your people to be upright in heart and in this world. And Lord, we thank you for that. Now we ask, Holy Spirit, that you will teach us, convict us, and challenge us and change our hearts today under this word, Lord, and through our prayers this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, and we give you thanks, Lord. Amen. Amen. When will God turn a nation over to judgment? When will God turn a nation over to judgment? When their hearts become hardened and they are past the point of repentance. In other words, there's a term for that and it's called reprobate. When a nation gets to a place of being reprobate in their thinking and in their minds, uh, they have set themselves up for judgment. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, we read about that in Noah's day when God destroyed the earth by a flood. And it says there in Genesis 6, 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And when a nation or a city or a people get to that point, they are, they're asking for judgment. And so that's one thing that you can always look for when the Lord will bring judgment upon a people. It's when their minds have become reprobate and all they're thinking about is evil and wickedness. What are the sins that bring his judgment? Another question I want to ask before I actually get into the, uh, to the text this morning. What are what are the sins that bring his judgment? Most all of them, most every sin will begin with idolatry. Every sin will be, be, begin with idolatry. And I'm not talking about bowing down to a wooden statue or a marble statue uh, and calling that an idol. But when men make gods of themselves, that's called idolatry. When men become self-willed, when they refuse to submit to God's word, when they give in to sexual sins, to witchcraft, to hatred, to strife, and to division, those are all things that God would look upon as wickedness. And so in the time of Noah, that's what was going on in the minds of people continually, and that's all that they were thinking of. Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19 says this, 
These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. An heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Those are seven things right there that you can be sure of that God hates. We ought to look at each and every one of them from time to time and, and see uh, what he is saying here. A proud look, a lying tongue. Uh, will God ever withhold deserved judgment when people pray and repent? The answer to that question is yes, he will. God will hold back his judgment. Uh, people can bring judgment upon themselves and that judgment can be looming over them and, and they could pray to God, repent of their sins, and God would withstay his hand of judgment, pull it back and not bring judgment. And one of the, there are several places through the scripture where we can see that that happened, but one of the classic examples is Nineveh in the time of Jonah. When God told Jonah to go to that city and, and prophesy to that city and tell them that in three days I'm going to destroy this place. Stop and think of that. If we, if we actually heard, uh, of course not too many people put too much stock in, uh, in prophecies today or in prophets today, but in that day and age uh, people you know, usually listened to prophets or either that or they were really opposed to them and they, they would uh, actually kill them. You know, but, uh, you know, not too many people, if, if they hear, thus saith the Lord, are even going to be affected by that at all today. But Jonah went, uh, eventually got to that place and went to Nineveh and began to preach that message. In three days, God is going to destroy this place. And evidently, uh, the king and the people of that place took that to heart and believed the word that came to them. And from the king right on down to the least of the people, they fasted and they prayed before God and they asked God to hold back his judgment upon them. And guess what? Guess what? He did it. He held it back. He held it back. Amen. What was that, brother? 40 days. 40 days. In 40 days he was going to destroy it? I'm sorry. Oh, it was three days journey into the city of... Thank you, brother. <laughs> Amen. But his, his promise, his prophecy was that he was going to destroy the place. But what happened was uh, the people repented. So in answer to that question, will God withhold deserved judgment? These people obviously deserve judgment. Will he withhold deserved judgment when people pray and repent? Yes, he will. Amen. And in light of this, is there any reason why God's church should not be a praying church in our day right now? Why should the churches of America not be on our knees praying and seeking God and, and asking him to forgive us for our sins? Amen. We have evidence in the scriptures. We have proof in the scriptures that God will withhold his, his judgment if people will do that. Why isn't every church calling on the name of the Lord uh, instead of uh, getting more and more soft towards sin, backing up, not, not wanting to offend anybody or talk about sin at all? Why is, why is the church doing that instead of falling on our faces and crying out to God and say, God, we have sinned against you. Please forgive us of our sins and spare us your judgment to God. Amen. 
Our nation is ripe for God's judgment right now. They, I mean, it, the, the entire nation has not been turned over to reprobate minds as it was in the day of Noah. But I got to tell you, church, we're closer to that than ever before. Amen. Amen. We're ripe for God's judgment right now. As a matter of fact, there's never been a time when our nation has been more ripe for God's judgment than right now in this present day and in this present hour. But neither has there been a time when this nation has been more ripe for revival than right now. Because it's during times like this when men and women take that seriously that we fall upon our faces, cry out to God. God says, I hear your cry. I see your heart. I hear that repentant heart. And I will come and I will restore and I will heal. Amen. So what is the one thing that can divert God's judgment upon this country? It is the same thing that can usher in that revival in this country and across this land as well. Prayer, prayer, prayer. I think it was Billy Graham, somebody asked, uh, what is the most important thing that we can, uh, the things that you see that are the most important things? And he said, uh, there are three things that the church must do. And he said, pray, pray, pray. Pray, pray, pray. Amen. So that's what we need to do. So today, uh, this is a call to fall message. Amen. So our text this morning, that was just a little bit of an intro. Uh, so our text this morning is a classic verse of scripture that so many of you know and can quote. But I got to say, even if we can quote it, it's not all that important if we're not doing it. Come on. Come on, church. So it's 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And God gave this promise to Solomon and to the people of Israel, and they were called God's people. But in the New Testament time, since the blood of Christ has been shed for our sins, we are called God's people as well. We are included in that. They're not ostracized and we have been uh, uh, exalted. No, we are all God's people. God, when God speaks about my people, he's talking about Israel and he's talking about you as well in the New Testament church. Amen. So we qualify for those first three words. If my people. So there's a condition. And as far as I know, there's a condition to most every promise that we find in the scriptures. A lot of people say, oh no, it's unconditional. No, 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 God's promises are unconditional. No, 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 no. You need to hear something. God's love is unconditional. God's promises are all conditional. Every time you find a promise in the word of God, you'll find a, 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 an if or when or should my people do this or that, I will do thus or so. Every promise is attached to a condition. So I want to meet the conditions of God's blessings, amen? I want to I meet the conditions of those promises. So he said, if, that's the first thing, it's a conditional thing that everything that's coming after that word in this uh, sentence that we're going to read, in this verse of scripture that we're going to read, everything that comes after that is predicated on that word, if, if, if my people, you know, God's not, God's not so concerned with going to the people outside of the church to speak to them 
about what I'm talking about here today because their minds are just fixed on worldly stuff. They, they, have no, they have no sensitivity towards God. They have no desire for God. They have no love for God. And so they're not being mindful of him at all. But God's saying, if my people who are called by my name will do these things. So God wants to start on, in your heart and in my heart as individuals. Then he wants to start in our heart as a community of believers. Then he wants to start in the hearts of his church at large and, and throughout, the, throughout the land and throughout the world. But it's his people. If my people, which are called by my name, and then he says, shall humble themselves. God's not looking to humble you. Oh, he can do that. <laughs> you better believe he could do that. But he's not looking to humble you. He's looking for you to humble yourself. He's looking for me to humble myself before his presence, to identify my own sins, to call out my sins one by one. Charles Finney, that great uh, revivalist preacher in the 1800s, uh, he wrote sermons and lectures and spoke of this. Uh, he says, uh, for true revival to begin in your heart, you must take up your sins one by one and confess them before God as sin. Now, sometimes we don't even, we, don't, we can't recall all of our sins, amen? But if I get honest before God as David did and said, search my heart, O God, and see if there's anything here, if I really believe that, God will show me some things that are there that I need to get rid of. Because he wants a steady flow of his Holy Spirit being poured into my life and out from my life. How can I be effective for the sake of Christ in this land that I'm living in unless I have his spirit, unless I have his blessing, unless I have his holiness flowing through my life? Amen. And so we need that. So uh, he says, those who would humble themselves and pray, 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 Billy Graham said. We need to pray. We, we, don't, we can't just sit around and wish that things were different. There's a difference between, oh, I wish it wasn't this bad in my land, and saying, dear God in heaven, change this land. Change my heart. Start with me. Change my church. Change my community. Change your church. Amen. Lord, change the heart of this preacher. Pray for your pastor. You need to pray for your pastor. <laughs> Don't just wish he would be different. Pray him different. Amen. Pray that God get a hold of his heart and make him everything that he wants him to be. I will not take offense to that whatsoever. I welcome that. My people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. And then he said, and seek my face. Seek the face of God. Seek the favor of God. Seek the promises of almighty God. Seek him with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Amen. And then he says, and then turn from our wicked ways. It's not enough for God to just show us our sins because we can say, Lord, show me my wickedness. Show me the wickedness that's in my heart. Show me the sins of my life. It's not enough to just get to that point and then stop right there. 
I've got to pray and ask him to reveal those things to me. And then he says, and then turn. Turn your back to those sins. Give them up. Turn away from them. Walk away from them. Do an about face. And that's really what the word repent implies. A complete and a total about face. Just turn right around. Yeah, but if I do that, I might lose my friends. You're never going to lose a friend uh, who is better to you than Jesus Christ will be. You don't have a friend in this earth that will be better to you than him. You don't have a mother or father that can be better to you than him. And all of us want to be good mothers and fathers, good grandpas and grandmas. Amen? Can't compare with the almighty God. There's nobody who loves us more than him. Seek my face. Turn from their wicked ways. And then he says, here's the promise. Those are all conditional things. Then will I hear from heaven. God hears prayers. And God answers prayers. Why in the world should we even pray if we didn't believe that he'll answer our prayers? Why would I pray to be healed if I didn't believe that God's a healer? Why would, I, why would I pray to be prospered if I don't believe that God would give me good success and cause me to prosper? When his word says that he'll do that. So he hears from heaven the prayers of his people. And then he says, and then I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. That's how the land gets healed when sin is blotted out. When the minds of men who have turned to such wickedness turn back and about face and turn their faces back towards God, their creator. Amen? <clears throat> so what are some of the sins of our country that we need to repent of? See, the first thing that we need to do is repent of our own sins. That's the first order of business. Then we can pray for other people around us. Then we can pray for the community. Then we can pray for the church. But we need to pray for our own sins first and turn from them. So the, the first thing is, the, the first and great sin of our country is this. We don't love God with all of our hearts. Just flat out, we just do not love God with all of our hearts. America has abandoned God. We need to wake up to that fact, church. God is the furthest thing from most Americans' minds. We have, all, we have come a long way from the founding principles of our country. On Thursday of this week, we are going to celebrate our 243rd year of our independence from Great Britain. This is a, an experiment uh, of government and it was government based upon the word of God, Jewish and Christian, foundational uh, principles and truth. And the signers of the Declaration of Independence were not afraid to mention God, nor their dependence upon his sovereign hand to lead and guide them. 11 years later, we had the U.S. Constitution 
was ratified. And while the deliberations for days were going on, they're bickering and fighting and arguing, going back and forth over how this whole thing should go forward. Benjamin Franklin, who was, who was probably known as the least religious of the whole group, because most of those guys were definitely outspoken, committed Christians. But Benjamin Franklin himself called for those representatives to get back on their knees. He says, we used to pray in this room. You know, we used to seek God's face. And we need to get back to that so that he, if, we, if, we're, if we're trying to pull something together, it's never going to happen without him. Unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. He quoted that scripture. They believed in those things. Today, we have a Democrat party. And if you are a Democrat, I'm not picking on you. I'm picking on the party. But we have a Democrat party that wants to completely remove the mention of God. A couple of years ago, they actually voted in favor of doing that. I think they had to draw back a little bit after that because they got so much flack even from the Democrat party, the people who are Democrats. But they voted and said, no, we, we, we don't want God's name mentioned. I don't know if it was the Pledge of, the, uh, Pledge of Allegiance or if it was something else but they didn't want God's name involved or mentioned. And you get a whole party that's voting like that, of representatives that are representing that party, not a good thing. <laughs> not a good thing. We've gone backwards. The second thing is, the second reason why God could bring judgment on this nation is that we kill our children by the millions. By the millions. I don't know what it's up to right now, uh, 63 or 64 million babies that we have killed. Is it 65? 66 million? Mary was sharing the other day that she, she goes to a particular Jewish doctor and she's been seeing him for the last couple of few years and she's in there about twice a year or something like that and every time she uh, talks to him, she witnesses to him and he really likes her. And he likes hearing from her, and he likes bouncing things off of her. And one of the things is, is uh, the pro-life issue, and I think he is more pro-life, right? And his wife is not, or? No, he's pro-choice. Pro pro he's conflicted. Conflicted, he said. Yeah, he says, I'm kind of conflicted on the issue myself. And so Mary will always just drop a seed in there and plant a little something, but he'll usually get back to this, how about... You know, he says, uh, all of the unwanted children, what's the solution to that? She says, well, adoption. And he says, well, how, how many people want to? She says, my daughter and son-in-law have adopted too. And he was surprised. He looked at her and he said, here's a, here's a family who practices what they preach. They're doing it, you know. And so uh, lately he asked her, she said, she gave him the statistics, 60 three or five million babies, I don't think, I think it was a little while ago when you said that, so it was probably 63 million at that point in time. And he said, oh, he says, is that, you mean worldwide? And she says, oh, no, that's right here in our country. And he was appalled. He, you know, sometimes people don't even know these statistics. They don't follow up on that. They don't look to it at all. They just proclaim, I'm pro-choice. Why? Why would you even think of throwing 60-some million babies in a dumpster like a piece of trash. But we've, we've done that. We, uh, 
over 60 million or 65, I'm not really sure exactly what it is, but Mary said 66. I'll go with Mary today. Amen. And here's the deal. Those millions of babies have been put to death and there are not enough people upset about it to turn, around, turn it around. That's the truth. This was legislated in 1973. It came through Congress. It came through the House and the Senate, and they voted on it, and it became an issue in our country that was voted upon. So we voted in favor of doing this. And I believe that a lot of the people who voted in favor even of doing it back then didn't think it through a lot. And to come to the place of where we are today going, man, I never thought that, you know, I thought this was, you know, uh, for the purpose of rape or incest or, you know, some of those uh, traumatic uh, situations. And No, it's become just nothing but a convenience. And the sad thing is that there are not enough of us upset enough about it to turn it around. So all it, all it would take was, would be legislation, once again, to get the right people in the office with a right thinking and a clear thinking head to say this is not a good thing and we are wreaking havoc on this nation. And I would say that is the first and foremost issue in my heart. You and I are created in the image of God. And if we take and abandon that and throw that out to the wind and say that that's really not an important thing, we bring that, the rest of everything that comes along with that upon ourselves. We keep voting men and women into office who are hell-bent on perpetuating this evil crime against humanity. We, church, listen, we are responsible for any judgment that God would bring upon us. We have, to, we have to address this as a nation of people, and we have to include ourselves in that prayer, and we have to include ourselves in that repentance, and we have to say, we, Lord, take the responsibility of what's gone on here. Nehemiah and Ezra prayed that way. They weren't even alive when, when the temple was destroyed. But they had to come back later and say, Lord, we have sinned against you. Our fathers have sinned against you. We, your people, have sinned against you. And so we need to pray the same way and bear the responsibility uh, that we have in all of this. The third thing that I would say that is uh, another reason why God would bring judgment upon this land is that we have made a mockery of God-ordained sexuality. It is everywhere you turn today. You cannot get away from it. But the Bible says that marriage is honorable in all. And it's talking about a marriage of a man and a woman. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. So sexuality is the thing that God created. That was in his mind. That was a thing for a man and a wife to enjoy together and to be able to procreate together. That was designed by God. It's a good thing. It's an honorable thing. And the marriage bed is undefiled before God. It's a wholesome thing. It's a good thing. But the rest of that verse says, but whoremongers and adulterers 
God will judge. Whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. We've done away with holy matrimony, which is the bond of a man and a woman in marriage till death separates them. A covenantal agreement between that man and that woman in the presence of people and God. We've done away with holy matrimony. Adultery and fornication are no longer looked upon as sinful behavior in our society. This has gone on for a long time. This didn't just happen yesterday, so this is nothing new that I'm saying to you right now. But adultery has been a sin in the eyes of God and hasn't changed, he hasn't changed his mind on it in our day. People have changed the way they think about it. Oh, it's not all that bad. So what if my son and my daughter want to live together without being married and have sex together? Our society waters that whole line of thinking down to where we comply and conform and go along with it. But it's always been a sin in the eyes of God and it will always be a sin in the eyes of God. That's what I'm talking about when we come before God and say, show me my sins, Lord, and then when he shows them to you, turn from it and run. Break free, break clean, and start a new life with Christ. I am so glad that I gave my heart and my life to Jesus at 21 years old. Because after I came home from Vietnam, my life was a mess. And now I'm hanging around with a lot of Vietnam veterans right now, and I'm getting a chance to know some new guys that I've not known before. And some of those guys are still stuck in the mess that I was in when I came out of Vietnam. They're 70 years old. And they're still stuck in that sinful behavior. And I just thank God that I was only 21 years old when the Lord got a hold of my heart and said, change the way you're doing things, bud. You are offending me and you're heading straight for hell. And I'm glad that there was somebody around that had the guts to tell me that. And I pray that you and I will be the kind of people that will have the guts to tell others that as well. Amen. It is no wonder that every other kind of sexual sin is being accepted in society today because that first breakdown of the family unit, that's the devil's tactic, church. When he broke down that relationship between the man and the woman, the wife and the husband, and broke down the family unit. That was the beginning of what we're seeing right now today. The slippery slope. Step one. Ruin and annihilate the meaning of marriage. Change it in the minds of the people. Once that was established, every other sin just began to snowball right after that. When people abandon God, they will abandon the order of God or God's order. Or when people abandon God's order, they will eventually abandon God himself. You say, what are you saying there, Pastor Mike? Well, if, if, 
this is the order of God, man and woman being married, and I don't like that, and I change that to mean something else. I have abandoned his order. And if I stay in that frame of mind and continue living my life like that, eventually it will take me down a road to where I will completely and totally abandon God himself and not have him in my life at all. The other side of the coin is those who have already abandoned God. They're haters of God. They're atheists. They're agnostics. They're whatever. And they don't like the idea of thinking about God at all. Obviously, they're not going to follow the order of God. So those two statements go hand in hand. Either, either people abandon God and then they eventually abandon his order or they abandon the order of God and eventually abandon God. Homosexuality has always been a sin and will always be so. And God has not changed his mind. I hope and I pray that this congregation will never give me flack for preaching that and saying that. I also hope that you won't be afraid to invite your friends and family to this church, thinking that, oh, Pastor Mike might get on that subject, and I got my nephew here, and he's homosexual, blah, 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 blah might be a place where he can turn from his sin. Might be a place where he can hear the truth about what he's doing. I, I did a funeral a couple of months ago of someone from my neighborhood that I grew up part of my life with anyway. But his brother is the one who came here and asked if I would do the ceremony and if they could do it here at the church. <clears throat> and uh, and then he says, oh, oh, by the way, I got a nephew that's transgender. You know, it, it, this is what people are feeling. They know that this stuff is wrong. They know that it's not natural. And so he's almost kind of wanting to make an excuse like I'm going to fall down or something if I notice this guy, you know. I said, oh, okay, not a big deal. Everybody's welcome in this church. Everyone is welcome in this church. We don't welcome all kinds of sin in this church, but we do welcome all kinds of sinners. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And, uh, you know, people need to know and understand that Christians are not haters. That's the way that the uh, media want to portray us. That's the way that the liberal mindset wants to portray us. We do not hate them. We love them. And, uh, and such were some of you. <laughs> as the scripture says. And such were some of you. That's what Paul said. You know, he says, you were idolaters, idol worshipers yourselves before God got a hold of your life and turned you around. So who in the world would you be to judge somebody else and condemn somebody else? You don't condemn them, but you don't condone their sin. You have to speak to that. I don't hate him, homosexuals but I despise the fact that they are pushing their agenda on society to make their sinful behavior acceptable and normal in the minds of other people. I, I despise that. I hate that. And I can, I can unequivocally look a homosexual in the face and in the eyes and say, I love you, but I don't like this agenda that you're pushing on my kids and on my grandbabies. And then the minds that are at a, at a very fashionable age are uh, forming 
age and developing age, you're putting ideas into their head that would have never come into their head without your suggestion of that. And it's happening more and more. Who would have thought that there would ever come a day when drag queens would sit in first grade classes and tell stories to our children? I mean, we wouldn't have thought of that. Even with all the homosexual, transgender stuff that's been going on in the last 20 years, we think, you know, really? But that's how they're pushing the agenda. And they want to start with the youngest of minds. And you and I have the power to come against that kind of stuff. Number one, by prayer. Number two, by every other practical means that God gives us to do that. Voting, number one. Speaking out, number two. Getting involved, number three. If you're a parent in school and that happens with your kids, you need to be right there in that school and say, hey, I don't want this stuff going on and being taught to my kid. Drunkenness and revelings, the Bible speaks of. We don't use that word reveling as much in our day and age, but it just simply means partying. The partying attitude. Yeah, let's party, man. Let's go out and get smashed. Drunkenness and reveling. The word of God speaks of this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 21. But let me read it for you in the context with verses 19 and 20 as well. So I'll back up a little bit, but you should have Galatians 5.21 up there at least. Paul says this, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, or they are made known and made clear, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. Then he goes on. Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before as I have told you in time past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That is a pretty clear statement. Those who partake of these things are not a part of the kingdom of God. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. The only way that those people can is to break away from those sins, turn unto Christ, and let him have mercy upon them. It's amazing how many people are given over to such sins as we just read right here. And everyone thinks that when these people die in those very sins, eh, they all go to heaven. They just all go to heaven. That's what people think. And there's no conviction and there's no challenge to them and there's nothing that says in their mind, hey, you know what? This is a damnable thing that we're a part of here and, and the Bible says that those who partake of these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Nobody's saying that to them. Nobody's reminding them of that. Nobody's trying to bring that, that common sense conviction in their spirit and in their mind that these things are wrong. They're just playing along right with them. And then all of a sudden one of them dies? And they think, 
oh, well, he, he was a good man. He, he went to heaven. <laughs> Church, we cannot preach anybody into heaven. It's not determined by us. Oh, they went to heaven. Oh, they went to hell. That's not determined by us. That's determined by God Almighty himself. And his word makes certain things clear on it, which is what we just read. These shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't know what it will take for people to wake up to their senses and say, you know what? I'm a part of this. I'm a part of this drunken, reveling lifestyle, and I need to quit it and come away from it. Today, people want to call good evil and evil good. Proverbs 17, verse 15 says this, He that justifies the wicked and he that condemns the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord. Amen. The person who justifies evil. You don't have to be a partaker of the evil. All you have to do is just justify the evil. God hates that. And it's just as wicked to him when someone does that as if a person would condemn someone who is just or righteous and upright. So I want to just, as we get ready to close, I said I want to spend a few moments in prayer at least today. Hopefully you can stay for at least five or ten minutes of prayer. And they, they ask that as many people as can come to their altars and kneel before the Lord. That's what it is, call to fall. If you can't physically do that, come on up and sit on the first pew at least and let's gather around this altar and, and let's pray. And I'm going to give you a couple of things to pray for. Number one, personal holiness. Personal holiness. Repentance of our own sins. First thing that we need to do. And David says this in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So let's pray today for our own repentance of our own sins. Ask God to show you and to reveal to you things in your heart and things in your life that might not be right in his sight. And then ask him to help you to repent of each and every one of those things and to turn from them. Number two, pray for unity, peace, and love within the church of Jesus Christ. Unity, peace, and love. 1 Peter 4.17, we mentioned this on Wednesday night, for the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? In other words, the people of this world who have turned their backs on God and want nothing to do with them, judgment is going to come. But he said he's going to actually begin to do, uh, bring some judgment into his house so that we will correct ourselves. How can we be effective witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ unless we're living right ourselves? And then number three, national and worldwide revival. 
that we would pray for our nation. We are citizens of the United States of America. I happen to think this is the greatest thing going as far as governmental systems. It's not flawless at all. No, you'll never find a flawless system of government in this world. When Jesus comes to govern, it will be perfect. Amen. But until then, we've got to deal with men. But we've got a good one, and we've got one that we can work for, towards righteousness and towards that which is right and good. So pray for our national and then worldwide revival as well, that God would give us godly leaders, number one. Let's pray for godly leaders, and let's vote them into office. Some people might say, well, this person isn't all that godly and this person isn't all that godly over here and I just feel like when I'm voting for this person, if I don't vote for this person over here because he's wicked, then I've got to vote for this person over here but he's just a little bit less wicked or he's not doing this and that. It's, you know, people have that attitude. I feel like I'm just voting for the lesser of two evils. Can I ask you a question? In your household, what do you want? Lesser or more evil? In your relationship with people, what do you want? More or less evil? It should be a no-brainer for us. I'm sticking with the less evil, which is if it's more in line with what God says in his word, then I'm going to stick over there. So pray for those things. Pray that God would give us good leaders, first of all, and then pray that he would lead and guide them because godly leaders need to listen and be in tune with the Lord so they can follow his leading as well. So we need to pray that as well. And that God would be glorified in our land once again. Amen. Pray those things. Those are just three things that I think could be a good outline for us to begin praying.